0: Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, and I am one of the two attorney bloggers on The Legal Geeks. With me today is a special guest, attorney Jim Deadman from the Abnormal Use blog. And Jim, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: It is so great to actually interact with you beyond Twitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes,
0: It is so cool seeing your blog. You've been on the ABA Blog 100 for years. Uh, It's a fantastic read, and could you tell – I'm sure many of our listeners read your blog, but for those who don't, could you share what your blog is about?
1: Sure. Uh, The blog Abnormal Use, which is abnormaluse.com, is ostensibly dedicated to products liability litigation, federal practice and state practice and those types of things. But we oftentimes stray into popular culture as the demands of creating content every day, uh, force us to do sometimes. And so on Fridays, we oftentimes, uh, highlight a legally themed comic book cover. We've done some interviews with some comic book creators over the years and, uh, Today, we're recording this on April Fool's Day. Today, we did our April Fool's Day post about some uh, fictitious Game of Thrones litigation.
0: Which was brilliant. Thought that was hysterical. So, keep up the good work. I love the Friday posts. You've done some great interviews as well that I just really, really admire. And, for example, the, the My Cousin Vinny post. Good stuff.
1: Well, thank you. We, it's, it's amazing how much we've been able to get away with just by sending people emails saying, hey, we're a legal blog. Would you like to do an interview? And so we've gotten some actors and directors and all kinds of folks who you never would think would return our emails, much less let us talk to them.
0: Warms my heart to hear that. So we're 3,000 miles apart. Could you tell everyone where you practice and how long you've been an attorney?
1: Sure. I practice at a firm called Gallivan White and Boyd in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have been practicing for 14 years, which is an interesting thing to say out loud, Uh, the last 10 of which have been in the Carolinas. I was in Texas before that, and I've practiced over the years in Texas, South Carolina, and North Carolina.
0: So we're approximately the same age, and we've had parallel lives. I think we graduated. High school, college, and law school—all all in the same years—and we've just been on parallel courses, which is fascinating to me.
1: Class of '94, high school, represent
0: exactly.
1: And when you look at
0: all the other adventures, now where'd you go to college?
1: I went to the University of Texas and majored in screenwriting radio television film which of course explains why I then had to go to law school so that I could find a job and went to Baylor for that.
0: Outstanding. Now I like your geek cred that you have but let's let's basically uh, qualify you as a as a geek expert. Fair Um, enough. uh, What's your experience reading Batman over the years?
1: I think that, like most people our age, I read a lot of the Batman comic books in the 80s. I was mostly a Marvel guy, but right around the period in the late 80s when there were rumors about a new Batman movie coming out, I really got into Detective Comics and and Batman and all of the like. And Of course, back then, everybody was talking about Dark Knight Returns and... You know, I had my Batman t-shirt that I wore to junior high. I had my Joker t-shirt that I wore to junior high. I actually found an image of the old Joker t-shirt I used to wear on the internet the other day and shuddered and sighed with pride at the same time. Um, and then, of course, watched all of the movies over the years. Michael Keaton suffered through the Val Kilmer and George Clooney versions and, and uh, you know, have, have followed the popular culture ever since.
0: I know exactly what you mean. Uh, That's—I was mostly a Marvel guy as well. Uh, I read Batman. In addition to that, enjoyed it a lot. I do remember, like a Clayface storyline, that was very interesting. And in thinking, "Hey, why not have him as a bad guy in a film?" And so I, I do understand the parallel
1: course. I can remember reading the rumors in the underground pop culture magazines and even the stuff like Starlog about who was going to be in Batman and then who was going to be in the sequel and it's funny to me to think about that all the rumors about oh Fred Savage is going to be Robin and Robin Williams is going to be the Riddler and all those things turned out to be wrong of course but uh, it was fun because really back then you couldn't find that information and speculation except in a very limited number of places because we didn't have this wonderful internet that we do now. And
0: it's amazing when you look at the projects that have
1: kept stuff off
0: the grid, such as say Rogue, uh, Rogue One or even uh, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. They, right. they, were, they, You think those guys could work for the intelligence agencies with the way that they could keep a lid on all, all those
1: projects? They must. I would love to see the confidentiality agreement that people have to sign in order to work in any way with those types of projects.
0: So I have a friend who does special effects at different companies on different projects, and he highlighted after the Sony hack, they really got intense on the NDAs.
1: Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I've had some friends that have appeared on game shows or uh, the like over the years, and I've asked them about what they have to sign. And most of these folks are non-lawyers, and they recount these, you know, incredibly lengthy uh, contracts they've got to sign, without, of course, disclosing the content of those.
0: So <laughs> amazing. So back in '89, there was the outcry with Michael Keaton, who I thought was an outstanding Batman. We saw something similar with Ben Affleck. And I think he was a great Batman.
1: He was really good. Um, I was impressed. I had low expectations because of some of the choices he's made in the past. I had low expectations because of the reviews. But he he was really one of the few characters in the movie that had some clear motivation and seemed to be... uh, participating in the film in the way that an actor should in order to make it a good enterprise
0: exactly well now let's talk about your experience reading Superman what do you have any stories that you remember from your youth that that stick out about the Man of Steel
1: well certainly the John Byrne Man of Steel series from the 80s uh, was a big one I remember my father bringing that to my attention. I think the newspaper had done a big article about that and sort of starting there, I'd read some of the, the, the silver age type stuff before that, but that seemed to be a really good entry point for me at that time. And then of course the, um, the new series that started thereafter, and you know with Batman as well I mean I I really got into the Justice League International comics that came out in the late 80s which just were the funniest things ever and I I, I miss that type of levity in, in comics but as for Superman you know looking back you know and, and going to some of the stories that have come out since then you know I really liked Red Sun that came out I guess not too long ago although not too long ago for me could mean 15 years ago and then the Alan Moore for the Man Who Has Everything uh, back in the '80s was was great as well.
0: Yeah, I loved the Justice League International stories and Justice League Europe or the, the one-off humor one they did for Justice League Antarctica, like, <laughs> all hysterical with with the killer penguin piranhas. It was brilliant. Uh, or the Guy Gardner storyline after basically getting a concussion and his massive personality change into a wimp uh, with and what followed for, I don't remember how many issues that they had him with being this meek, you know, guy that, and no one sought medical care for him. They just left him as is. So <laughs> a lot of great stuff.
1: Yeah, I, you know, that's... That. Speaks to the tone of some of the comics that existed at that time, and, and of course, Superman was not a big part of, of JLI, if I remember right. I'm not sure he was in that much at all, but the tone there was just so wonderful, and I just enjoyed reading that. And that was those were some of the issues that I would read over and over again, just because they were so funny. And what's strange to me is that after we have mined that era of popular culture for so many film ideas. That one has really not been in the mix very much, or even even you know Booster Gold and, and Blue Beetle and all of that, which is just great stuff. It's been a little bit in some of the the Justice League uh, Unlimited cartoon, but um, you know not as much humor.
0: The Booster Gold series from about five six years ago, where you had Rip Hunter. Mentoring him, and we learned that Rip is actually Booster's son. Uh, you know, the protecting the timeline because everyone viewed him as the screw up. Great stories in there. And they even touched on the killing joke with him trying to stop a Joker from paralyzing Barbara Gordon. Oh, really? And, yeah, and it's great because each time he failed, each time he died while he was there. And he confronts Batman. And what would then be present day and Batman stares him down and throws out you know a file that has all the photos of Booster like beaten and dead that technically would have been before he first appeared and met the Justice League and so Batman had those and had been waiting for the right time to confront him.
1: Wow um, I may have to check that out.
0: There was some great stuff and but there was the rejection of that period where you had Maxwell Lord turn evil, kill blue beetle and just you know there was a rejection of it and that's that sad but I agree I loved that era.
1: And I've not returned much to the comics in in recent times. I've made a couple of efforts to to get back into it. I read identity crisis when that came out about 10 years ago when they did the new 52, I thought, well, maybe I should try and get back into that, but that really didn't work for me. I'm not sure that was marketed or meant for me, but uh, you know, the ultimates I I did, I went through that phase as well. And of course that was the, uh, the groundwork for the Avengers movies, but uh, I have not, I would not describe myself as a regular reader these days.
0: And that's okay. Well, let's talk about what do the characters of Batman and Superman mean to you?
1: These are huge pop culture figures. And, you know, when we were talking about doing this podcast and, and what these heroes were about, it reminded me of that line from Armageddon where Owen Wilson says something about this being deep blue hero stuff And that's what these guys are. These are, you know, mythic heroes that represent ideals. And with Superman in particular, you have a hero who has a moral compass that exists, which is the heart of the character. And, you know, this is someone for whom saving citizens is a calling, not an inconvenience. And Batman, I think, is an opposite side of that same coin with some some cynicism and skepticism that Superman doesn't have, but it's the contrast between those two characters that make them such effective partners, I think, and which makes them a joy to read about or watch in the T V series or what have you. And so I think that when you take these characters and attempt to alter that DNA, it's a perilous enterprise
0: yeah and we can let's revisit that on on the dangers of it when we especially when we talk about the dark knight returns uh but did you watch the old fleischer cartoons from 75 years ago it's their anniversary this year
1: (laughs) i i did not watch them then but i have watched them since and uh it's been a number of years but you know those are those are great um as are a lot of the pop culture depictions of Superman in the last 75 years.
0: Those ones are nice because their budget for them was huge. I read a recent article that if you adjust the the budgets that they had for inflation, each one was over a million dollar budget for the, the, these cartoons, wow! And so they they invented new technology that then was used for decades, like how to make a lightsaber on on the screen, all, all that good stuff, and the fluid motion movements that they had, the look and feel. Uh, it was also the time period when Superman's origin was he was still an or he was an orphan when he was sent to earth, there was no mom, Paul Kent. He, and so that would have been different. And he leapt tall buildings. Uh, they didn't have flight form yet. And so there's some of the, these cartoons where he's you know, fighting flying robots and he can't actually fly. So he like gets dropped and it's fascinating because it's, I mean, so beautiful and so well done and it's like vintage sci-fi.
1: And I guess yeah, I guess that is interesting because you, you realize that the concept of Superman that, that you and I probably think of when we think of the character wasn't always that. And so there, there have been changes to the character over its life. And you know, I guess we can talk about it a little bit. you know, how unreasonable am I going to be if I say that it can't change from the one that I knew when I was a kid but you know, I think getting back to the first question, you know, Superman is a, is a character that exists beyond DC, beyond the original creators, beyond any one creator. I, I think that is the, the joy and the danger of working with that character, because it is just, it is this large cultural property that we all know and recognize and, when I think of Superman, I think of uh, of a character that kids look up to and respect and, and, and marvel at, for lack of a better word. And uh, that's, that's just who Superman is. Very similar to Captain America in, in some ways with respect to the moral compass. I mean, the two characters are obviously very different in their origins, but I think that that awe and respect that we have for those characters because of their... Decency as um, heroes is something that they share and is a defining characteristic of them
0: well both Captain America and Superman are supposed to represent the best of us of what we can be of of the individuals who help others who take a stand against horrible things happening you know they're the ones who hold up the shield and say like this won't happen. I'm going to stop the Nazis. I'm going to stop injustice. I'm going to stop cruelty. And they're a great example of what we can be because of that moral compass. And that might be the reasons uh, some people are reacting negatively to Batman versus Superman.
1: I uh, think so. And I, I was reminded during all of this of a storyline in Captain America in the 80s where Captain America is forced to kill someone who is distant from him using an Uzi or something like that. And he's racked with guilt and the general public is, is mad at him because he's Captain America and he doesn't kill people. And that was the storyline. And uh, it's, it, it speaks to who he is as a person. And I think Superman has faced the same dilemma over the years.
0: Yeah, I remember in the late '80s, one of the it was a alien invasion storyline that was a massive crossover event that they had a couple years after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Superman had to kill in that. And John Byrne then did a storyline, uh, I believe it was John Byrne, with Superman putting himself in exile in space from the guilt because he was really upset that he had to kill. And I think that's one of the core qualities of the character.
1: Certainly, I, I think that's that's who he is.
0: Now, there's a third character in uh, Batman v Superman that we should talk about, and that's Wonder Woman. Do you remember watching the Linda Carter show?
1: I do remember watching it. Um, I don't know how much I remember about any given episodes, but I do remember watching it. And I remember the theme song for certain. So,
0: it, it, And I remember, I think it went through a reboot midway through that. I remember World War II themed episodes, and then it jumped up to then present day, which was in the 1970s. And I don't remember why that happened and why they did that but i do remember two different eras that were depicted in in the show
1: i definitely need to go back and watch that again because i have not seen that in probably 30 years so
0: i I watched one i think on hulu not too long ago and or, or online or something i was like oh i still remember enjoying this this was cute uh but you know there's there's this rumor that they're trying to get Linda Carter to play the fictional president on Supergirl and my reaction to that is you know with the way that the 2016 elections going I could see the Republican convention ending with her being nominated. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> that, not to get into politics, but that may be better than some results.
0: You know, I'd be okay with it.
1: I would. I think so.
0: There would be a President Carter I'd be really cool with.
1: <laughs> Another President Carter.
0: <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about the film. Uh, and So I saw it opening weekend. Did you see it over, over the weekend as well?
1: I did. I saw it the Thursday um, – pre-release. There's a movie theater by my office and I snuck out early and went and saw the film. I saw it Friday evening.
0: And uh, what are your thoughts on the tone of the film?
1: You know, I'm not sure that the tone of the film is marketed to me. And so I think there are some stylistic choices, the darkness, the pacing, the Computer game style violence that are stylistic choices that I don't like and I wouldn't have gone with had I been in charge of the film. But I understand and appreciate that those are some things that are just how films are now. And there's a lot of films that utilize that type of approach that don't involve Superman and Batman that I don't go see. But I think that this is a Superman and Batman movie. And so I think that the darkness of it, I think makes it much more difficult to portray the Superman that we've been talking about lately on this podcast. Um, you know, Superman movies should be fun and, and action sequences should involve Superman saving people. And, and there were some scenes in the movie where, you know, you get some montages where Superman looks like he is saving people and he has the expression on his face as if he were running his errands for the day, you know, going to get gas or go to the bank or whatever else. I mean, it's not as if that's his calling. And so, you know, with Batman, you know, Batman films can be dark. Um, I think that the, the tone there is probably not much different than, than the Christopher Nolan films. Although I, you know, like we said, I think Ben Affleck did a pretty good job establishing a motivation for that character although his motivation is based upon the crazy destructiveness of Superman that is unrepresentative of the Superman character. So it's, a, it's, a, it's all over the place.
0: And I really felt that showed one-dimensional thinking on Bruce Wayne's part, which was just bad storytelling because he should be smarter than that, of who to blame for the fallout from General Zod's, attack to wipe out life on earth by terraforming the planet into something else place blame where blames due, And that's something that just bothered me with the depiction of Batman in the film for his motivation. Cause I thought it was misplaced.
1: I think that the fact that humanity learns of aliens and is attacked by aliens in a very short span. In Man of Steel, the skepticism and fear that arises from that is an interesting way to go in Batman versus Superman. Because I get that. I mean, I th- and I think I think what Zack Snyder is trying to do is to depict, on some level, what it would have been like for regular members of society to. React how they would react to these dramatic you know life altering world altering revelations I mean everybody would be scared and everybody would freak out i don 't know if I want to watch a two and a half hour movie of society you know shutting down because of that type of fear particularly when you know a Superman movie is something that is meant to to enjoy but I, I see where they're going from and so the first fifteen minutes of Batman versus Superman where you see Batman. You know Batman's point of view during Man of Steel. I, I did think that approach was at least interesting on some level.
0: Yeah, he also is the Beyond Amazing CEO who flies into danger, who is trying to help his people in his company. Like that's all
1: good stuff. That is, you know, when- when the when the, when the insurance company comes to uh, Wayne Enterprises and asks to do the the key man insurance policy on Bruce Wayne, what does he tell them? Does he fully disclose his lifestyle activities, which might uh, result in them having to pay out? I doubt it.
0: Probably not. I, I'm going to go with no.
1: Maybe that's something that they can address in the the next film.
0: <laughs> One the world wonders now. I do have a. So in this film universe that we're in, he's been a superhero for 20 years. And so they've seen extreme supervillains before. That's not the same as alien life visiting the planet. But you think there would be a little higher threshold for new and insane in a world like that.
1: Sure, and the kind of destruction you see in Man of Steel, and the manner in which it was caused—alien invasion—is just devastating. I mean, that—that is, it's still sort of difficult all these years later to watch, you know, a a metropolitan city destroyed uh, in a movie, and the kind of devastation that you saw in Man of Steel would be something that we as a society would not stop talking about for years and years and years. And I think that in part, we've seen that play out in real life the last 15 years. And which is another reason why, you know, this film, which should be an agent of escapism is, is too grim and too, too dark.
0: So let's talk about the fallout of that kind of world. So we have an alien invasion, and then for 18 months you have Superman flying around to other countries, saving people from floods, children falling out of burning buildings, all these bad things, and he's saving those. What's Congress's authority to regulate him? I don't know if they would even claim that he's somehow violating the Logan Act by doing things that could be counter to U.S. foreign policy by helping those in need. Uh, What's your feeling on how they could regulate that?
1: Well, you know, interestingly enough, Superman is technically an illegal alien, so you start there, and I I wonder, you know, you you get into some very basic legal issues. I mean, you you would probably have to go back to the very beginning and, and, and determine, you know, is Superman a person under the law? Uh, I assume he would be, but we've never had to determine whether an alien is a person under state or federal law. And so I think that you start with these very basic notions, and then you get to the issue of uh, Congress is obliterated, the building is destroyed. And in Man, uh, or in, in Batman versus Superman, once that happens, there's really no fallout from that. I think they mention it once more on the news, and then that's it. You know, our, an entire branch of government is completely destroyed during a hearing, and it only gets mentioned once again in the in the rest of the film. But I would think that 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 type of of reaction would cause uh, Congress to enact broad, sweeping new laws, and that the Supreme Court would almost certainly approve of those because of the unprecedented threat of alien invasion and never mind the fact that the aliens look human and can pass for human. So I think you'd see a, uh, an interesting civil liberties battle indeed would occur there.
0: That and there's also just how's government work take place because the Senate Senate side blew up, and so we don't know if it took out the House side as well. So if it's, if it's the entire Capitol building or just right half, we don't know if all the senators were there. But there, at least there's a mechanism to replace senators, whether it's uh, governors appointing them on an interim basis, uh, sometimes for the duration of the term, sometimes still special election. That can vary state to state. Two, special elections need to be held. There's no mechanism to replace congressmen. So that could get messy fast if all 50 states need to pass emergency legislation to figure out how to replace congressmen who have all been blown up. Uh, that's a mess, <laughs> and you think it would make more than a little news.
1: It is, and I'm not sure. Did Do we have a reaction from the president to that in the movie? I don't remember there being one.
0: No, nothing stated we don 't hear from the President until the fight with doomsday
1: well, it just seems it just seems odd that you would have something like that of such significance i mean you could you could make a whole movie with just that being the the climax, and then they go fight Doomsday uh, and spend far more time on that than the consequences of what Lex Luthor has perpetrated, yeah,
0: one branch of government potentially all 535 members blown up or maybe there's like four or five left who are out running for president for the next election. I don't know. Uh, But think nominal number of congressmen left. And depending on how they're they're replaced, that could actually shift the power of Congress on what party holds it. I mean, it it could get really weird very quickly.
1: I think you would probably see a coming together – after an event like that like we've seen before in recent history but the the sheer size and scope of that devastation is something that you can't depict and then just disregard thereafter because almost every event and discussion and action that would be taken by business or government or whatever else in the United States would be affected by that if that actually occurred and you know you you see generals i think who are just doing their jobs you know in in later scenes you know they they're dealing with doomsday or whatever else but you know i would think that everything that we do say and and consider would be affected by that type of destruction and and yet we just move on to the next city to get destroyed
0: yeah tom clancy wrote entire books based upon a 747 flying into congress killing the president taking out Congress, and I think most of the Supreme Court, and Jack Ryan becoming president, and we have an entire book called Executive Orders because Ryan has to put the pieces back together again. We don't walk that off. And that's just gratuitous violence on the, on the movie screen with no thought of what the actual consequences would be, which was, again, one of the reasons why the movie bothered me.
1: Well, and it's funny because on the one hand, Zack Snyder says he wants to depict this world where this could be quote-unquote real and we would see the reaction of how people uh, would behave in response to them like that. But he only wants to show the explosions. He doesn't want to cut away to the citizens of Washington, D.C., cowering in fear or or walking through the ash, you know, I think the only character who has to do that is is uh, Bruce Wayne at the beginning of the film, who you know who interacts with other people, other characters whose sole purpose is to be saved by Bruce Wayne. So,
0: yeah, they <clears throat> could have used a little more script writing on that. Well, we've talked a lot about this DC world. Let's compare it to. Yeah. what DC has tried to do basically in two movies, Marvel took multiple movies to create. And just, I want your thoughts on the differences between the two.
1: Well, on some level, DC gets to benefit from the hard work that Marvel put into this because DC knows and recognizes that a cinematic universe can exist and work. I mean, Marvel took kind of a risk Um, saying we're going to commit to this many films and do that. But, uh, you know, one of the joys of reading comic books is seeing all of the interactions and crossovers. And you remember the little footnotes that they used to have in comic book panels where it'd say, see issue 58, you know, and and you'd go by issue 58 because you had to, you had to, you know, understand what that little offhand remark and dialogue was referring to. And so the idea of a cinematic multiverse is great. But I think that Marvel captured the tone of comic books far better. Somebody on Twitter the other day, I wish I could remember who it was said, you know, DC colon grim, dark brooding superheroes who never have any fun at all and spend the whole film uh, in emotional pain. Marvel colon let's give this raccoon a gun and search that tweet and find out whoever wrote that, because that's fantastic. Whoever that author is, but I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, the Marvel movies are fun to watch. And there's some darkness in those movies, but it doesn't overtake the film.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy has the fastest on-screen death of a mother in potentially all of movie history. A full <laughs> 10 seconds faster than Finding Nemo, which was an off-screen death. We actually see Mom die. We have characters who are horrifically, emotionally traumatized. Yet yeah, that is probably one of the most feel-good, uplifting films ever. And they, they deal with the darkness and people overcoming it far more effectively than just wallowing
1: in it. I mean, I imagine what it must have been like to read the script and to read the dance-off scene at the ending and think, how can we pull that off? But they pulled it off. I mean, they pulled it off, and, and and much of that is is due to Chris Pratt and his persona. But I mean, that's that's not something you would see in Zack Snyder's universe. So,
0: yeah, I I don't get me wrong. I enjoy dark and gritty. I love Daredevil. I there's a lot of great stuff out there that has like some some meat and depth and struggle to it. But not everything is going to be. Uh, we all need. TST treatment after walking out of a film like that?
1: I think part of the folly must be the notion that people who are happy or who seem to be enjoying themselves are not as deep as people who are emotionally troubled. And so Snyder is making his characters emotionally troubled to make them seem deep. But I've never been particularly impressed with Henry Cavill's, portrayal of superman and who superman is um you know christopher reeve you know who superman is and maybe if you're a a much more modern viewer you think he's a little too goofy but at least christopher reeve knew who he was playing i'm not sure henry cavill does
0: and people can't say oh that won't work because superman's just outdated they pulled it off with captain america exactly brilliantly it's so you're going to take someone who represents the best of the greatest generation who punched Nazis take on the national security state and it not only makes sense but have a clear sense of right from wrong
1: and we talked about before the scene where the young kid at the museum looks up and sees who he recognizes as Captain America and Captain America you know, puts his, his, finger to his lips to, to shush him. But you see the awe and respect that the child has for Captain America. The same you see when children interact with Superman in depictions of him. And this Superman character is not one that you look to with awe and respect. I mean you you would run away if you saw him.
0: Yeah, it's it's a real disappointment and a disservice to the character because he's supposed to be so uplifting. You know, when I think back to um the end of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths where you have Superman from Earth 1 and Earth 2 you know take on uh, the Anti-Monitor and it and it turns into a a fight just between the Golden Age Superman versus the Anti-Monitor. You know, with like, I will not die. And he slugs it out and he and to save the day. And with Alex Luthor appearing and, and everything that takes place in order for, for there to be a victory. That's the character, you know, who doesn't give up, who fights to the end. And they just blew it <laughs> in this film.
1: I wonder if part of it has to do with the fact that, you know, in, in television in particular, every protagonist of a television show these days is a murderer. You know, usually one who murders in cold blood, whether it's Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead. Everybody is a murderer. And we've almost been desensitized to the fact that all of these heroes are are murderers and we expect our heroes to murder people now. And maybe that's the notion that, you know, again, you can't have a complicated character without them being evil on some level. And I don't know that I accept that.
0: I don't. You know, the, the good guys shouldn't kill. Now, it's one thing if there's war. That's different. So when we're looking at the Centauri invasion of Earth, that makes sense that there's going to be death there, because that's full-on war. Captain America, the first Avenger, Avenger fighting Hydra and Nazis, is a soldier. People are going to die. I accept that. But when it's supposed to be law enforcement, there shouldn't be murder.
1: Did you ever see that movie uh, Zero Effect? No. Well, rent it immediately. Okay. But um, it's it's with Ben Stiller and and Bill Pullman, and it's a detective movie. It's not a superhero movie, but there's a line in there where Ben Stiller says – He's arguing with with, uh, Bill Pullman's character. And he says, there's no good guys. There's no bad guys. It's all just a bunch of guys. And I think that mentality has taken over some of these uh, works of pop culture because there are good guys. And even if in the real world, there are more shades of gray, one of the reasons we look to movies and comic books and the rest is to see... The good guys, and uh, and and see a place where it doesn't have to be gray all the time. But now I, everything's gray all the time. Yeah, and it doesn't. It shouldn't be.
0: You know, it's okay to draw a line and, and say, like, no, this is wrong, and I will I will fight this because it's wrong, and, and standing up for right is the right thing to do. But t- let's switch gears to something that was right in the film, and. I really enjoyed seeing uh, Wonder Woman, and I w- want to get your thoughts on on how they treated her, the character.
1: Well, they she, she wasn't in it a lot, although I think she was the one thing that was new and interesting because we've not seen a cinematic depiction of her in, in many, many years. Um, it's hard to gauge how – they're going to to, uh, to use that character because from what I understand, the, the standalone movie is actually going to be set 100 years in the past. And so the next time we see her in the present may be in the Justice League movies. But, I mean, I liked th- that. And I thought the one scene in the movie that captured how good it could have been if they had – uh, done it right is where she shows up after Doomsday has shot the fire and and she blocks it with the uh, her shield and Superman says you know she with you and Batman says no I thought she was with you that was that was it and and they actually the way they cut that scene in the trailer was actually better than the way it was cut in the movie and I thought where's that movie you know and I watched Man of Steel the night before I saw Batman vs Superman and there's one scene in man of steel where uh superman returns to smallville and sits on the porch with her mother after lois lane has tracked him down and they sit on the porch and they smile and kind of laugh and i'm like where's that movie but uh i don't know yeah
0: the the with her in the fight the fact that she's the happy warrior you know she has a great smirk after getting you know like knocked down by doomsday i felt like rock on. We need more of that. We need that kind of style, that kind of fun, and and a good slugfest as well. So it's okay for the heroes to have a good positive relationship with each other.
1: Well, and you see her lasso, you know, and the lasso looked kind of cool, and I would have liked to have seen more of that. And maybe the films will lighten up a little bit, um, when the heroes are together, but I'm, I'm very curious to see how they handle her character in the standalone movie. And I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, there, there are some, there are some other good performances in the movie as well. Uh, You know, Amy Adams, uh, you know, Ben Affleck, um, Lawrence Fishburne. So, uh, you know, it's not all bad.
0: It's not all bad. It's, It needed either editing or a script doctor or – there was a rumor that I saw in in one of the articles that Snyder did try responding to uh, some of the the screening feedback that they had, and he wanted to go back and do some edits, but allegedly the studio didn't let him do that. So, again, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it needed a, a change in tone.
1: I thought it was absolutely hilarious. The number of times there was a gratuitous remark that, "Oh, that's an abandoned neighborhood," or "That island's uninhabited," or "Everybody's gone home from you know from work," you know, to to establish that that all of this destruction is not affecting as many people as as it might otherwise be.
0: Yeah, that's they were stretching there. You know, they were they were totally stretching there, and the fact that all of a sudden Gotham and Metropolis are now San Francisco and Oakland with Treasure Island basically being abandoned between the two of them. It's like,
1: really? That's, that's new. That is definitely new. I, I'm not sure. I mean, that that's definitely something that probably doesn't trouble me too much. And, and I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think a film can change to, to make the story easier to tell on, on the screen because um, that's not a character note that's that's just geography um, but it's so funny that Zack Snyder who adhered so rigidly to the Watchmen um, panels decided to change all these things about these heroes that are far more recognizable and important um, and, and central to Pop culture than any one character in Watchmen. Although I mean, I love Watchmen, the, the graphic novel. So don't get me wrong. But you know, I, I would have been interested to see a Watchmen movie that was this dark. But you know, the Watchmen movie actually seems sillier in tone than Batman versus Superman, which is really the opposite of the way it should be.
0: Yeah. Speaking of silly, let's talk about this version of Lex Luthor.
1: <laughs> Do we have to?
0: um it's part of the healing process jim it's we can't move forward unless we talk about what happened
1: oh my yes lex luthor what happened um you know lex luthor is a successful businessman who you fear and or respect and i don't see how you could fear and or respect the character that uh, Jesse Eisenberg played and Jesse Eisenberg is in one of my favorite movies from the early 2000s called Roger Dodger um, if you've not seen it check it out but what Zack Snyder and Jesse Eisenberg were thinking in turning Lex Luthor into a uh, an unstable millennial is beyond me and the scene, and and you could do that, and and some of the scenes weren't as bad as others, but the one where he says, where he's standing with Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent and mentioning the fact that they've just been introduced, that was just cringeworthy. And you know, this was you know, it doesn't have to be Gene Hackman, it doesn't have to be Clancy Brown, but it's got to be something. And and to to think that 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 could have been Brian Cranston or somebody along those lines. And that this is what they went with. My goodness.
0: From putting the candy in the Senator's mouth to the weird sexual tension with Holly Hunter Senator to being like the introvert who freaks out and can't give a speech at a non-profit event for a library to then immediately being this awkward geek with Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent when we learn at the end he actually knew their secret identities he actually figured that out that's weird (laughs) it's so weird
1: not only did he figure it out he also created logos for them
0: yeah and everything that he did was to set up a fight between them in the most convoluted, weird way possible, and just odd, just so freaking odd with what he
1: did. It is, and, and and trying to ascertain Luthor's motivation in this movie is very difficult, as you point out. I mean, what does he want? Why is he doing the things he's doing? Might not there be simpler ways to do those things? Um, what is the purpose of, of what he's doing. I'm not sure that in this world that Zack Snyder created that Luthor would need any help making the American public scared of Superman. You know, I mean, does it take blowing up the Capitol to instill a fear that we already have when, you know, that universe's metropolis has been destroyed by aliens? I mean, my goodness.
0: If they had gone with, say, a Brian Cranston playing Lex, he could have been building his presidential campaign around it about yeah. the alien threat, and it, people would have rallied to it. It would have made sense conceptually to to be anti-space alien and to build a dome, you know, borrow from Supergirl. But they don't do any of that. It's It's so discombobulated and whatever prior motivations he had, then take a sidestep after he starts talking to Darkseid.
1: I think, I think the problem is that the motivation that Batman has is very similar to the motivation that Luthor should have. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, Luthor could make some decent points about protecting humanity from this alien invasion and still be an evil villain himself. Um, Or he could use those things to his financial advantage or his, you know, to benefit his quest for power otherwise. But, you know, I guess you have both, you have Luthor and Batman who are very suspicious of Superman, but Luthor's motivations just make no sense.
0: And I would have expected batman to kind of follow the the model that they had for batman in uh new frontiers because in that story you have martian manhunter who's uh operating in gotham if i remember right and so he's a detective with the gcpd and there's a confrontation between batman and the martian manhunter and it was uh probing uh, but i think it was more trust but verify
1: Right. And then even in, in uh, you know, Batman has always been suspicious of other heroes and whether it be some of the stuff in uh, Identity Crisis or even the Young Justice, you know, JLU uh, cartoons, I, I think that that's fine. But and even I'm not sure, I'm not entirely sure that I object to Batman's motivation and approach in this movie uh, but this sort of speaks to the issue. That there's just too much going on. They're trying to introduce too many characters. Some of whom have understandable motivation. Some of whom don't. I mean, you get, not only do we get Batman and Alfred um, and we get the origin story again, we get Luthor, we get wonder woman, we get teases of the flash cyborg and uh, Aquaman. And I'm don't get me started on Aquaman but there's just so much going on here that uh you you really get the sense that they're trying to do in in one movie what Marvel did in five and no post credit scene so come on guys well
0: yeah <laughs> just so many things wrong uh you know, the other thing that bothered me and I want to get your thoughts on this when we saw or read, you know, the, the classic The Dark Knight Returns, you know, that was supposed to be set in an alternate, what, 2010, and Reagan was still president, and they had their superhero law that made them all disband and go away, except for Superman, who's working for the federal government. And the fight that takes place between them, there, there's buildup for it, and it's supposed to be based upon, like, decades of like having been friends, and then being frenemies, neutral, you know, all of that, and that's the starting point in Batman v Superman, which I thought was just a bad starting point to have them start out from that position.
1: I think we're going to see a stark contrast. Pun alert. Because with Civil War, you were going to see Iron Man and Captain America at odds in a way that is dramatically different because we've seen them interact for several movies. We know who those characters are. We know that they know each other. And now suddenly they disagree and will presumably fight. And there's some gravitas to that because of the backstory that you don't get when two people who've never met just start punching each other
0: yeah cuz there's no drama there and it just it bothers me it just so bothers me because what worked in dark knight returns doesn't work here but with civil war like you watch the previews and you're emotionally invested fans actually love all these different characters so seeing them on different sides has an emotional response because they've they've been friends they've been allies uh we've cheered for war machine we've cheered for captain america we cheer for falcon and seeing them at odds it's like well this is fast and, and it bothers us
1: well and and I'm looking forward to that movie very much. And I I saw Batman versus Superman mainly out of a sense of obligation, you know, to my former self. And now I've got to see a Superman movie. And, uh, you know, some, some people are very troubled by the movie. In fact, I've got a friend uh, named Ryan who runs a blog called the signal watch and he's probably the biggest fan of Superman in the United States and has blogged about Superman for 12 years. And he refuses to go see Batman versus Superman because of how troubled he was by Man of Steel and what he's heard about, about this. So, I mean, I guess I, I can say now what I, what I said back in the 80s, which is make mine Marvel.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm already picking up action figures for blog posts for Civil War. And oh,
1: really?
0: i thinking about, can I read the Accords? Because that'd be neat to do analysis on those. There's,
1: oh my, there you go.
0: Well, that and you know, the other thing that, that's a tip off for me, it's like, you know, Thunderbird, uh, Thunderbolt Ross is not exactly the role model for civil rights. So the fact that the guy who trampled on the Hulk civil rights and violated the Story Communication Act and was doing wireless taps of people, he's not the guy to put in charge, he's not the guy to put in charge of this so problematic so, well
1: it would probably be, he's probably better than anybody from shield since shield turned out to be a hydra front for 50 years but uh
0: there's that that, that <laughs> is a bad thing uh yeah you know it's a little awkward that the neo-nazis helped save new york stuff like that that that's just tough to deal with so but uh yeah, it, there's some awkwardness there, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do.
1: And, well, and that's—I mean—watching that trailer was fun. And you, I mean, I, I loaded it up on the computer and watched it. And you know, the the first trailer was great. And you're like, okay, who's in it? Who's in it? You know, and and part of the fun is is determining, you know, which of all these characters that we've seen introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are actually in the movie. And then you see with each trailer, new characters. Uh, introduced and of course the last one we get spider-man which will be a new introduction to the marvel cinematic universe but it looks like they they handle that pretty well in the trailer and uh, i'm looking forward to that
0: as am i lots of good things there so let's talk about how can people find your blog and follow you on twitter and all of those good things
1: abnormaluse.com is the blog um, and that again is, is we talk about products liability cases but again stray into some of these pop culture issues as well um, I have a personal blog at jimdedman.com and Deadman, by the way is D-E-D-M-A-N and then on Twitter I'm at Jim Deadman. so um, that's uh, pretty easy to find me and I am unfortunately obsessed with twitter i mean it is it is a problem so i i i mean i gotta i gotta have my twitter so
0: dude it's cool it's, it's how we've met it's how we've interacted it's how jessica and i got introduced to each other so it's all cool it's all cool well well, jim this has been a lot of fun it's really nice to to see that uh, we've had shared experiences growing up and reading the same comics and going to the same movies, so that's always nice to see for, for being able to have our, our lawyer geek team up for this podcast and, and hope we can do more again in the future.
1: Yeah this is like this is like an episode or an old issue of Marvel Team Up. This this is how I'm going to view this podcast.
0: <laughs> it's like Thing and Spider-Man or yeah, that's right. Doctor <laughs> Strange and Nick Fury, some, something weird like that. Yeah, this this it's very cool. So with that, So without everyone. Jim, thank you. And everyone, stay geeky America. Stay geeky.